Dr. Ken Adams, it's a pleasure to be with you here. Nice to, nice to be with you. I'm a big fan of you and your books. You're, you're the expert in addiction in, in so many areas. What, what did you gain from a, from a rabbi's book? Well, I like your, I like your, I liked a lot of it. Um, but what I really liked was, was putting the 12-step program in some perspective that it wasn't a Christian program, that it was a spiritual program and there was a neutrality in those wisdom of those steps and words, which I think are brilliant. And I've seen no replacement for the 12 steps when it comes to addiction recovery. So that was my biggest takeaway, among others. But that was, that's really what struck with me. Thank you. That, that's, that's very humbling. Um, okay. I, I want to just get right down to it. I want to talk a little bit about addiction. Specifically, um, your expertise has a focus on, on sexual addiction. And I just want to talk about your um, experience as far as how do you describe it's a very misunderstood subject how would you to somebody who is completely um, with no background in this let's say thank God they don't have it in their family they've just heard about it maybe third hand how would you describe what is addiction really what is it really well, it, it inv- always involves a primary relationship to a mood-altering drug or experience. Alcohol, drugs, food, sex, porn, uh, gambling, uh, etc., shopping. Um, where there is a inability to stop despite negative consequences and attempts to do so. So that's primary. That's a primary definition of addiction. Now, when you use the term a primary relationship, do you mean a relationship like I have a relationship with my friends, my family, a relationship with a person? Well, so addiction is a primary attachment to an experience that I now depend on that's a, that I've come to need or experience that I need. My brain says I need it, even though I don't need it. The brain has been altered. We call that hijacking of the brain. So the brain has been altered, and I feel like I need this relationship to my overeating, my oversexing, my overdrinking, my gambling, you know, etc., because it provides for me a retreat, a um, release of the pain and the anger or emptiness that have been traveling in my story since childhood. So we've chatted before about about addiction really being, if you will, a developmental intimacy disorder, where the addiction is the end point of a series of developmental events that begins with primary attachments with parents and caretakers not going as it should. So you're describing it as an intimacy disorder. You're describing the addiction as a relation, not a relationship, the primary relationship I mean, what does this mean as far as an addict's ability to have real relationships, adult functional relationships? So the, the, here's the problem. So if you look at this developmental sequence, one of the things that over time the person needs to do if they're not internalizing that I'm loved and valued by my parents who might be too busy or too dysfunctional or too angry to really let me take in that I'm loved by them, 
even though I tell myself I'm loved by them. But one of the things we do as clinicians, when, they, when we ask people about their families and they say, well, I came from a great family and I always ask, well, tell me how you know you were loved. And, and you'll be shocked how they can't come up with anything. Tell me how you know you were loved. Give me some examples. And those who come from these systems in which they were love deprived or there was too much anger or so forth, they don't have any examples or very few. It's a powerful question to ask somebody who's in denial about their family. So what happens is, is that part of them that longed for love, that sweet, vulnerable, heartfelt part is walled off. And then I discover, oh, I feel better when I eat too much. I feel better when I sex too much. I feel better when I drink. So now my primary attachment, rather than to my family or parents, is to my drug. And so maybe I develop what's called a double life, right? I put part of my life over here. I let people think that I'm very moral, etc. But over here, I have a secret life. My primary attachment. So I'm over here visiting you on Friday Shabbos, but I'm really thinking about the sex worker I'm going to pick up when we're done here. Right? So I have a double life. And my primary attachment is to the part of me that now feels I can't live without it. And so that becomes a a relationship that's primary, that produces consequences, but I can't stop. Now, I may be losing my, my wife, my kids. I may be having legal issues. I may be getting caught with drunk driving, all kinds of things, but I still continue to do it. It's one of the maddening things to, to watch somebody on the outside um, deal with um, addiction is that why don't you just stop? Right. Why right. don't you just stop or pray more? But it's right. really not a moral issue. What you're saying is that, you know, why don't you just stop? Well, hold on a second. This became at some point the person's primary attachment, primary relationship in life. Perhaps where a parent should have been or, or some other human being should have been. And when you say just stop, what are you saying? You're saying get a divorce from the closest relationship you have in your life. Right. So that's not so simple. No, it's not. No, it's not. It, it really, it, it's really difficult because it because it's such a source of comfort and it's so difficult to surrender it. And yet you must, right? There are no half measures. It's one of the beauties of the 12-step program. They have one of their many pearls of wisdom that comes from that program is half measures availed us nothing. I, I, I love what you say about half measures availed us nothing because um, on one hand, it's important for somebody in recovery to understand how intense the process is. Uh, on the other hand, I, I think for our viewers, many of our viewers are not going through addiction, thank God, not in, not in, not in their own life, not in their family's lives. Um, maybe they have a friend who's going through it. I mean, statistically, I think everybody, if you know five people, you know an addict. But I think it's important for people to know the, um, what it really requires for a person to overcome an addiction. It is literally replacing what you call their primary relationship. It's, it, and there's a grieving process. There's a grieving process of, of letting go of that thing that has been the 
primary, if not sole source of comfort in a person's life. And that's, that's a huge thing to accomplish. So here's something that until now was the person's primary relationship to, to, to beyond the love of, 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 of and loyalty to, to, to their, their marriage and their children. And now it's got to go no contact, zero relationship. Yeah. And even above their relationship to God, I might, I might add, if you, I don't want to trespass where I don't belong, but, but they, they, will, they will betray that relationship too. Right? It's, it's even primary over that. They'll betray the relationship to God. Yeah. But I want to talk about that for a second because as a rabbi, I find that you, there are very, very, very scrupulously religious people, very, people who have a very strong moral code and who are addicted and do things that betray their own value system. And what happens is the shame they feel from the betrayal that they are betraying God throws them into even more addiction. I, I, it's, it becomes counterproductive to think of it as a moral issue. It does. You know, this uh, shame cycle is just so uh, toxic, and especially in the religious community. And I think if more of my colleagues, talking about rabbis, understood this better, um, we could help people break this cycle so much sooner with such less misery and agony and, and, and self-hatred that really isn't, isn't productive. It's not helping people to, to get off this uh, merry-go-round. Yeah, and the shame, of course, is a major driver behind addiction. If I look at my childhood story, I never felt adequate as a boy or a girl deserving of love. So I walk away from my childhood with a degree of shame in my core identity. Now you tell me I should pray more. I've been praying more. It's still not working. So now I've added more shame. So now I don't tell anybody in my religious community or my family community what I'm really doing. So I now, I isolate. I increase my involvement in my primary relationship to my addiction issue, but I don't tell anybody. So now the isolation further fuels it. And so we talked about the Fresh Start program, which is the intensive program for the Orthodox community. And what I love about that intensive workshop program, along with others in the country, but the Fresh Starts are anyone I know of, specifically for the Orthodox community, is that it helps them to unravel that developmental intimacy issue and allow them to decompress some of that tension and anger and come into their deeper vulnerable feelings, which is one of the values of an intensive workshop setting. Yeah, the Fresh Start is a, is a week-long retreat. Yeah, and it allows them to decompress, take a breath, open their heart back up so that they can be more available to those they love and to the God of their understanding, of course, as they say in the program. And to begin to let go and surrender. I don't need that primary addictive relationship anymore because now I'm dealing with my discomfort, my pain, my loneliness, my history of anger. So that's the value of these intensive programs. I, I want to switch subjects from addiction to a related subject, but it's an area of your expertise. Um, and th that is the, the subject of enmeshment. A lot of people don't even know what that word means. Could you describe what is parental enmeshment in, in simple words for, for, the, for all of us? 
So, so parental enmeshment, enmeshment describes is that we've got too much involvement going on at the cost of my own independence. So that would be a sort of shorthanded, we're too close um, under the guise of, of, a, of a leverage of loyalty and guilt, right? You're, loyal, you're, you're, you're obligated to me out of guilty loyalty. And so parental enmeshment is what happens is, is that the, the young adult trying to leave home has having his or her own life, starting their own family, runs into this demand from the parents or the system to be loyal to them over the system you're creating, your family you're creating. The Torah tells us this. The Torah says very clearly in, in, the, in, in, in Bereshis, in the book of Genesis, Al Cain Yazov Ish as Aviva as Ime, Vedavik be Ishte Vahayula Vasarechod. That therefore a person should abandon, uses the word abandon, his father and his mother, and cleave to his wife, and they should become one flesh. That there's a certain abandonment of the family of origin that is necessary, and the Torah is aware of it and, and warns us about it, in order to create the next generation in a, in a, in a healthy way. So, there is a there is definitely definitely a prioritization of, of of loyalties. It's there for a reason. But you look at the family system literature, where you learn where I learned a lot about enmeshment, family therapist, and they point out very clearly that one of the hallmarks of a functional marital relationship is the loyalty to the family of procreation. That is your family you're creating. It's greater with your, with your spouse, your children, your children, your house. Your wife, yes. Yeah. Greater than your family of origin. Meaning your parents' family. Yes. They're not equal. My wife, my husband, my kids, they come first, and then I consider you. In an enmeshed system, they say, no, no, no. You, you, you think of me first, and don't you dare think of anybody else before me. That's trouble. That's big trouble for the young adult trying to leave home. Because one of the things as a parent, I know this, is that you think by holding on, you keep them close, but you don't. You keep them obligated, but Mm -hmm. not close. You let your young adults go, and here's the irony of it, it invites them to return. The last spiritual assignment, I always say this, every chance I get to talk about this, of the parents is to take the loss. It is not up to the young adult to cushion the blow to the parents. It is up to the parents to rearrange their contractual understanding of this new relationship with the young adult in their life, who then returns out of choice, strengthening the bond both within the community and within the family, because I'm here by choice. So in, in enmeshment, in parental enmeshment, that is seen as disloyal, that is not permitted, that is guilted, that is under... So we've had parents undermine marriages, directly criticize the spouse, very overt stuff. You know, I, I run a number of... of um, having written about enmeshment over the years... In the books I've uh, published and while I was running workshops, I've seen men from all, uh, 500 men from all around the world over the last uh, six years, different cultures. And 
I, I can't tell you the number of stories I hear. Of course, I have a biased sample of of parents undermining the marital bond because they're so afraid they're going to lose their son. When in fact they are, but they gain something in return. They gain an emancipated man who wants to return and recontract with the parent. I still love you, mom and dad, but I'm free to be myself. And that's the recovery from enmeshment. And you can imagine, we talked about this a little bit ago, is that enmeshment breeds addiction. Because if you're going to hold on to me out of guilt, I'm going to find a way to rebel against you. I'll go do what I want. I'll act out sexually. I'll overeat. I'll drink. I'll drug. But I'll, be, I'll find some way to rebel and have my independence. Of course, it's not independence to be locked down by an addiction. It's another form of constraint. But it's a desperate grab by somebody who's been taught that autonomy is, a, is an affront, is an insult or a betrayal of the family of origin. So they're trying to get some place of autonomy where I can do whatever the heck I want. Well put. Dr. Adams, I just, I, I want to mention, you mentioned a, a book that I wrote, God of Our Understanding. I, I want our viewers to know about a couple of books that uh, you wrote uh, that have to do with enmeshment specifically when he's married to mom is one title and uh, silently seduced and these are considered to be classics modern classics in in the field of enmeshment and uh, have, have added so much to the understanding of this subject so if our viewers are interested I think they should definitely uh, read your books on, on, on those subjects. Dr. Adams uh, an absolute pleasure, a lot of food for thought, and I'm sure our, our, our viewers are going to think a lot about all of these, these messages, about addiction, about enmeshment, and uh, about Fresh Start. So thank you so much for giving of your time to us today. You're so welcome, and I'm happy to be here, happy to uh, do what we can to help people struggling to find some freedom. And if you, want, uh, if you get a lot of questions and want to have a round of questions and answers, we can we can revisit. Yes, yes, I would love to do a round two with Q and A from our uh, from our viewers. Great, thank you.